We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, friends. This episode of Big Blue Banter is brought to you by Prize Picks. Head on over to Prize Picks and use promo code BANTER and they'll match up to $100 on a new deposit. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato, who's fresh off a nice week in the sun, as you can clearly tell. You know, what happens to me is I get a great tan during the summer. Most of you can remember and reference the point where I was actually darker than Nick. That um, never happened. I can assure that. There's video <laughs> in the summer. I mean, it happens. Look, but then I get super pale during the winter and I hate it. I just hate everything about the winter and fresh off Nick's vacation last week. Actually, right now, I'm dealing with a three-day-old cold that is so bad at night, Nick, that I literally have not slept more than like two hours straight or hour and a half straight in the last three nights. And I am, I, you know me, I've talked to you about this plenty off pod. When I don't get sleep, I am a zombie. And I, I think sleep is the most important thing in life. So I will be zonking myself out tonight with like, I think, two doses of, of NyQuil. I think that's been my plan. I'm like, I can't do another night like this. So we'll see if that helps, but the congestion, man, and all that. And by the way, I tested. I'm not COVID positive, so it's not that. But I mean, I don't even want to go to the gym, dude. I haven't been to the gym now in three days, so it's it's a it's a nightmare. But what it has allowed me to do is think about content for the New York Football Giants. Now you're back, Nick, and so we have some fun content plan coming up for just this week already. So we're gonna do today's podcast on a rookie report. We're going to give grades out for the rookie class. And Nick already did this on Big Blue View. You can find his article over there by searching for Nick Filato Big Blue View. That's the way I always do it to find his Big Blue View content. Mm-hmm. Takes you directly there. Um, but just to keep in mind, and you can confirm if this is true, but I'm pretty sure it is. These are not grades based on like what you think of the pick. You're not grading the pick. You're grading their first season, their rookie season, correct? Yes, I'm grading their rookie season, how they performed. And it is relative to the selection. So like a guy like Jordan Riley might have a higher grade than like a John Michael Schmitz. That doesn't mean Jordan Riley was necessarily a better draft selection than John Michael Schmitz. And I would also preface it with this when it comes to Trey Hawkins, the third, my grade on him is a little bit lower than what you would expect from a sixth round pick. When I was giving the grades, I was assigning our expectations of Trey Hawkins, the third after the, uh, the training camp that was oversold <laughs> yeah buzz would probably be the best word so that's why that grade's probably going to be a little bit lower than what a normal six round pick should have for for somebody who's just basically a developmental cornerback at this point 
I think that's fair, and we'll discuss that throughout today. And then after that this week, we're going to start a five-part series, actually, that dives into the five biggest questions the Giants are biggest questions the Giants are facing this offseason. Nick and I got together and came up with the five biggest questions. Crazy, but it didn't take long. Like there are five major questions this franchise is going to have to answer this offseason. And we're going to get into all those. We're going to rank them from importance. We're actually going to start with the most important to the least. Um, so you'll get that content. And then for those of you who might have saw this on Twitter. In the works is also a, and this will be amazing if we can get this done. Um, it's still in the works, but I think it's going to happen. We're going to have an interview and a podcast with Justin Pugh, the Giants left guard. And we're going to be going over a lot of things. It started with us just wanting to get into a 30,000 foot view conversation about roster building, trading up for quarterback, things like that. But we're also going to get into some film breakdown. Pugh said he's willing to break down some plays. Not willing, he wants to break down some plays for us on tape. So you got, we love that. You guys love that. I'm excited for that. We're also going to, I also want to talk to him about like 30,000 foot view stuff on like O-line building and importance of offensive line coaches and what impact they make. These are things that we've discussed a lot, Nick, but we always say when we discuss them, like, and eh, we're not really in the building. We don't really know the impact of this on teams. And I also want to talk with Justin about Nick, at least, and this is, you know, spoiling a little bit of it, but I want to talk about his thoughts on the, you know, age old concept adage, I should say of like, you're only as good as your weakest link on the offensive line. And a lot of people view the roster building of, I'd rather have five average players than two elite and one really bad player that can bring you down. So I want to talk with them about all that stuff as well. So keep that all in mind, Big Blue Banter fans. A lot of content coming down for the end of this January month. Obviously, as we get into February, there'll be Senior Bowl, there'll be Combine, and then March starts free agency. And throughout all that, we're going to be doing draft content, of course. So Nick's already got his eyes on one potential prospect for the Giants, who I don't want to spoil it yet, but he had a very very, I mean, the one, the one comment you said to me, uh, yeah. bearing up to someone else, your grade to someone else, uh, in a few, in a previous draft class, it was intriguing, man. And now I got my eye on this prospect of, well, that prospect Jared verse, we might do something on him soon, but check out Nick's Twitter, uh, for a few breakdowns and clips. Florida there. state edge for, yes. for those. Yes. Anything else I missed Nick or are we all caught up? I wanted to ask you actually, yeah. have you ever had Mufungal? I've never even heard of Mufongo. What is it? Oh, bro. If you ever get a chance to go to Puerto Rico or in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, you got to get some Mufongo. Like, you know, the Tostones that oh, Diana makes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Plantains. You fry plantains. Well, Mufongo is basically a gigantic mashed potatoes of plantains instead of Ooh. potatoes. And they Ooh. fill it with beef and they fill it with shrimp or whatever kind of meat nice. content that you like. And it's just freaking amazing. So I couldn't advise going to places in the Caribbean and Puerto Rico more. It was a ton of fun out there. Went snorkeling, awesome. went zip lines, okay. and all that kind of stuff, man. It was, it was good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you had fun out there snorkeling and zip lining. Speaking of, I finally got Nick, and this this will be of interest to some big blue bander fans who have heard this in the past. I finally got Nick. I, I send Nick uh, skits from. I think you should still leave a lot <laughs> oh, now yeah. because after he said, "I hate that guy," I don't know who that guy is, but I hate that guy. <laughs> I hate him. him. <laughs> you did say, "I don't know who that guy is, but I hate him." At one, I'll, I'll find the podcast. Okay. I said he's annoying. I said he's yeah, a very annoying. Like, like yeah. I don't know who that guy is. I see him. All over the internet he's so annoying but i finally i've just been sending him like random skits from i think you should still leave to see if i can like does this one do anything does this one do anything for you i finally sent him a good one the uh the one from the new season where he's it's like a uh, a, a spoof of the bachelor and he's he's at the, he's at the, he's on the bachelor and she's like you know i don't know i i just can't you all you've been doing this whole time is, is using the zip line it's like, like even, yes, even when yes. we had a even when we had a group dinner it just felt like you're just trying to eat as fast as you can to get back to the zip line so i found it i found a skitty like fun that was that. a great skit yeah i'll give credit where credit's due it's yes. just a lot of the other stuff is him yelling and it's just uh, obnoxious but that was very funny and well done yes it's a lot of spaz out humor 
Um, but, and I don't think every skit hits, I think like 30 to 40% are hits, but the hits to me are just like gold. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to the podcast. Let's back, get back to talking giants. I will try Mufungu when I'm out in Puerto Rico, I'll be there in May for my buddy Joe's bachelor party. Really? Do you know what, what part of Puerto Rico you're going to? Um, you're going West side or East side. Well, where do you fly in? You fly into I, fly, San Juan, I flew right? into San Juan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm flying into San Juan. So what side is that? That would be the east side, northeast. I side. imagine we'll probably be on the east side then. I would think. I don't know though. Okay. I mean, it's but, a smaller island, so you could travel, and it's not that far. I also heard there's great golf out there, which I'm really excited about. I stayed on well. I stayed on a golf resort for a day, oh, or two God. days, and I didn't go wow. golfing because it was so expensive, and it's oh. such an elitist sport. It was like 175 oh. bucks a purse. You got to pay for the car. You got to get the club. No, no, I'm not doing that. I would rather just chill on the beach and sip pina coladas. Like I'm not gonna sit there and, and golf when I get bored by the third freaking hole. Yeah, yeah that would have been a horrible decision for you no. to spend all that money for me. It would have been a no brainer. But let's get back to the Giants here. And we're going to break down the rookie class. Nick has his grades out. I'm going to give my grades as well after Nick gives his. So let's start with the first round pick here. Deontay Banks, number 24. And remember, just to set this, you know, set the scene here. We're not grading the pick, the value from Joe Shane, anything like that. We're grading how well they performed in our mind on tape in their rookie season. Without further ado, let me hear your breakdown on Deontay Banks. First off, grades are kind of, you know dumb to some extent right nobody like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a big grade guy but i but i see the utility in them and deontay banks for me now that i said that i gave him a b plus and one of the aspects of deontay banks's game that i feel like we all underrated and i've said this several times throughout the season was his eyes in zone coverage his ability to understand route concepts and you saw this a lot against yankee concepts which is a two-man route concept with a deep post a deep clear out and then a deep horizontal so those are two routes right it's either a deep post or a deep clear out depending on if the middle of the field is open or if the middle field is closed and then a deep horizontal route well when Opposing offenses ran that concept. Deontay Banks knew to sink underneath that that uh, that uh, deep post when it was the deep post to come away with interceptions. There was a play similar. I think his first interception against Washington was was somewhat like that, right? This is a player who we raved about his man coverage ability. We raved about his athletic ability, and all of those things showed up on tape. It wasn't a perfect season for Deontay Banks, but we, or at least Dan and I, we saw the. Uh, the uh, at least the foundation of what's going to be, I think, a very good NFL player. And I would already say that he is an above average cornerback. I think he has all the man coverage skills. He is sticky in man coverage. He is feisty. Can he get grabby sometimes? Yeah, a little bit. Was he beat sometimes this season? Yeah, but it wasn't like these glaring losses or these mental yeah. lapses or him just getting beat from an athletic standpoint or his technique going. Sometimes you just lose. Sometimes you're going up against a better wide receiver and the quarterback and the wide receiver are on a, a very uh, they have a very good rapport and you just lose. And I think those were a lot of Deontay Banks's losses this season. It wasn't something where I was like, oh, wow, this guy is. I never like thought Deontay Banks was a bust. It was like he lost. Was like, OK, he lost. That's going to happen sometimes. With rookie cornerbacks now bounce back. And guess what? He would bounce back. And he's also somebody who would come up and run support and he would hit a little bit. So I uh, I came away pleased with what we've seen from Deontay Banks and a defense that wasn't all that great to begin with this season. Yeah, I think that was a very fair evaluation, Nick. I don't think every one of our grades are going to be exactly the same, but I think B plus is where I land as well. I think that's the perfect grade for his rookie season. I'll say this. 
he was better in zone coverage than I ever expected him to be. And I heard him break down his interception against the Washington commanders on giants.com or one of the giants produced shows. And I, I heard the breakdown and I was really impressed with just not only just the terminology he's using, but just the concepts and how well aware he was on a play like that and how much he took to the coaching and how that allowed him to make a play like that. I just compared to some of the, uh, you know, former first round cornerbacks that giants have tried out there. Deandre Baker, Eli Apple come to mind as most of the, the most recent two first rounders. And I just don't get the feeling that DeAndre Banker, who was re reportedly falling asleep in meetings, or was that Eli Apple, the other one? And, you know, you can, you just get all right. Like you hear it, it's such a stark contrast to go from that to Banks. And I don't even know necessarily that many people viewed that as an area of his game that might be a plus at the NFL level, which is that cognizant area and the ability to kind of process information as a corner. And I think he showed that in spades. The reason it's only a B plus for me, Nick is from a man coverage standpoint, it wasn't perfect. And I don't think it was, you know, you're seeing Marlon Humphrey in year one or something like that. One of these, you know, elite man coverage type corners that we've seen kind of jump out into the scene. Even he, he kind of took a little bit of a while. So I don't think it's a necessarily an indicator or a harbinger of what's to come. Cause I think he can improve in that regard, but to get an a minus or an a or an a plus, I think he would have to have been a little bit better in man. Uh, stats wise, he had 56 tackles, two interceptions, six PBUs. I think that's another area I was pleasantly surprised about Nick, which is his ball production because eight combined PBUs and interceptions is pretty damn good. In my opinion, for a 15 game sample size, cause he missed the last two games of the season with an injury also played through some injuries, but, I think that's pretty good ball production considering we weren't necessarily sure based on his tape at Maryland that he was going to be the best ball production corner. We almost felt like that was an area of his game he needed to improve on. And I felt like he did a good job of showing more than maybe people expected in year one uh, from that ability. So in my opinion, it's a really good sign that you have like some of these stats that come out it's the 23rd best corner in reception rate, you know, didn't give up a lot of receptions under 60% completion rate against Overall, I was definitely pleased. And I think he did some things I I necessarily wasn't even positive he was going to be better at. So B plus is strong for me. I personally feel like Nick, he's one of those players that now that I saw this on tape, that he is also a good or you know, did show some good traits in zone coverage. He's one of those players that I'm not concerned about going from Wink Martindale. Like the difference for me is look, yeah, when Wink Martindale leaves, we drafted a lot of players for this Wink Martindale system. We've now had these players grow into this system. They've had some of them had two years in the system and then poof, it's all gone. We're starting from scratch. That concerns me with some players. I would say Banks doesn't fall into that ability. I think he's going to be able to transition to any defensive coordinator that the Giants hire. And some of the other aspects of Banks is that, uh, that was a little bit negative, I guess, would be he did surrender four touchdowns. He did have eight penalties. So got a little grabby. It's going to happen in a man-heavy system. It's not something that's going to deter me from thinking that he is going to be an asset moving forward at 22 years old. He only allowed 57.6% completion rate, which is a pretty damn good completion rate. So B-plus, I think, is fair. If I'm going to be honest, it would have been on the lower side of the B-plus and not the higher side. So you're talking about maybe a little bit closer to a B. But overall, I was impressed with what we saw from Deontay Banks. And I share that same opinion that you just stated. I don't think a new defensive coordinator is going to come in and he's just going to not know what to do whatsoever. Right. I think he can handle whatever cornerback technique you throw at him. I think he can do, but maybe the best thing that he will operate in and he'll grow into this as he has more experience would be a man coverage corner, which even if you do have a more zone heavy system sure. on the backside of three by ones, what do you run a lot? You right. Run Meg, you run Meg, you run mod Meg man everywhere he goes mod man on deep which basically just turns into man coverage and i think deontay banks will be able to do that and he did that against the aj browns and the cd lambs of the world this season
That's a great point by you, Nick. And no matter what system they go to, they're still going to be able to utilize his skills. And that probably goes for most corners, honestly. Corners, the one position I feel is personally, I feel is least impacted unless it depends. Like if you have a very defined scheme, like Wink Martell had, maybe it is more important, but I think they'll, whoever they hire will probably be a little less like so heavy on man or so heavy on zone. Though even Wink mixed in a good amount of zone. Everyone uses zone. But one thing you mentioned on banks that I did think was worth read or you know highlighting or, or, or talking about for a second again nick is i did feel more on the lower side of his grade i guess or more toward the negative side of his grade for the rookie yeah. season would be in the red zone his ball production so i did say i liked that he had eight pbus and interceptions combined that was good but in the red zone maybe i was i didn't feel like he was at his best when the ball was coming his way and that could be just you know, something that improves with time when you when you understand concepts more and you understand what route concepts can can actually be run based on the looks in the red zone because it's such a condensed tight area. So that's one area of this game I would look to I would look to see improvement of next season. I think that's completely fair. Let's move on to the second round pick of the New York Giants, pick number fifty seven. That is center John Michael Schmitz. Look. I expected a little bit more from John Michael Schmitz just based on his tape at Minnesota. But I think we have to be fair here. He was put into a shit situation where the guards were unstable. The offensive line was unstable. I believe some of Joe Shane's decisions, those calculated risks that we talk about, kind of blew up in Bobby Johnson's face. And Bobby Johnson wasn't enough of a coach to, I guess, remedy that situation. Now, he didn't have the, the best ingredients, I don't think, either. Like putting Josh Azu to a guard as your backup left tackle when your best guy gets hurt on the first drive of the season, that's not great. How does that affect John Michael Schmitz, the center? When those guards are not Justin Pugh the entire season, when they're not these savvy veterans all of the time, and you're kind of cycling the Marcus McKethans in next to him, along with Mark Lewinsky and players like that. So I don't think John Michael Schmitz was put into the best situation, but I still expected a little bit more from him. You can see his ability to transition from the line of scrimmage up to the second level. You see when the Giants did run counter and, and did pull centers this sometime, or even an outside zone, how he was able to get to the outside shoulder, create a seal, and then allow Saquon Barkley to run right off his ass. Or if he was the chipping player, he could chip that guy and then climb up to the second level. All of those things we saw on tape. And I remain wildly intrigued about John Michael Schmitz, but I still gave him a C on this grade because there were times where he just lost at the point of attack. There were times where he couldn't pick up certain twists, certain stunts, how much of that was coaching, how much of that was the instability on the offensive line. I'm sure all that collectively gets thrown in, but I'm not going to watch the tape and objectively say, you know what? He has all of these excuses. So it's a B plus or an A because yeah. it wasn't, it, it's right. a C and I think it's a strong C too. Like it's right in the center of where the C is going to be. And if it's, Anywhere, if it's higher or lower, I can probably be talked more into the C minus, but I still remain very high on John Michael Schmitz. And I think with a different offensive line coach, more stable guards, you're going to see this guy grow and you're going to see him flourish because he has all the traits to do so, the work ethic and the intelligence. Yep. You nailed it, Nick. And just as a reminder here. Because I think sometimes this gets lost. This is not a grade based on our projection for how he's going. These yeah. players are going to be in the future. This is simply a grade based on the tape they put forward in their rookie season. Nothing else. And that doesn't mean we're not going to use factors like Nick discussed, which is like how bad that situation was in the O line to, you know, use that context to help us make a decision. But we do also believe in independently evaluating the players. That's something we've always believed in. I know it's a problem for some people when it comes to some positions, but something we've always <laughs> believed in. 
And so when it comes to John Michael Schmitz, I'll talk about the things I liked and I'll get to my grade and the things I didn't like. The thing I liked the most about John Michael Schmitz's rookie season was his ability to move to the second level, his movement skills. I thought it was unique. I thought at least compared to what I've seen at the center position from the Giants in a while. Nick Gates had some pretty solid tape with the Giants, but I never felt like he was a great mover at the second level. Feliciano actually had some moments where he was a good mover at the second level. That was actually something I liked about his game, but I still felt like it was more natural, it was smoother, it was more explosive with John Michael Schmitz in space. So that's something I really liked about his rookie season. Now to the things I didn't like as much. And that was the main thing I really liked about his rookie season. I'm going to be honest. The things I didn't like as much, we'll start with the first thing you said. You, you really nailed it, Nick. But the first thing you said, I'm going to give him some qualifications for. And that's some, some mishaps when it came to picking up the stunts. So here's the thing. How much of that was offensive line coaching? How much of that was just a revolving door at left guard and right guard for a while? And I know they settled in the second half season. You had similar players next to him, but I'm not necessarily so, so sure, Nick, after watching the tape, that I believe Ben Bredesen is a starting level offensive guard. I'll just be honest. I thought he had a better start to the season than a finish. And then, you know, on the other side, Justin Pugh, a veteran player, was 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 fine there, and I'm sure he helped in that regard. But you're bringing a guy in mid-season at that point, Justin Pugh, who wasn't with you in the offseason, wasn't working with John Michael Schmitz. And now you're saying, here you go, communicate with your center and get on the same page immediately. That's a tough task to ask for anyone, even a veteran like Justin Pugh. And then to, you know, you know, can with a rookie like John Michael Schmitz. I think that's something that has to be factored in. So I don't necessarily worry as much about the stunt pickups, Nick. I think that's going to improve with better coaching and with more experience. And that's something Joe Shane touched on. One of the things he likes the most about John Michael Schmitz was the leadership, was the mental aspect of it. So that's something I'm not as worried about. And I want to bring up one thing that I also that I liked about John Michael Schmitz this year. Um, and that was, you. I think you saw at moments his wrestling background come out. I think yes. at times that ability, that low center of gravity, that fight, it, it it worked. And we obviously know, you know, you look at a lot of good offensive linemen. Go ahead. Uh, okay. I wanted to say one thing just because you brought that up. And I think it, it fits into what I was going to say. Cause I, I remember two fourth down plays late in the season. There was a fourth and two play against the New Orleans Saints. Well, you really saw that wrestling background. Now everything was tight. The Saints loaded the line of scrimmage. There were, there were no openings, but you saw John Michael Schmitz take on the nose. I don't remember who it was. And he lifted him up, torqued himself and dropped the nose and Saquon Barkley ended up picking up the first down. Now against the Eagles, not long after that, he was going up against Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis is huge. Jordan Davis got pushed. And this was a fourth and one situation, got pushed at the point of attack against Saquon Barkley. But you see the Saquon Barkley was going to go to the right of John Michael Schmitz. You see John Michael Schmitz take the push and then just torque. And he had no help on this. He just torqued Jordan Davis away from the hole and Saquon Barkley picked up the first down. Those are two huge, competitively tough plays on fourth down where John Michael Schmitz rose his game to another level. Yeah, that's great moments from his rookie season and they deserve to be discussed and highlighted. And I'm glad you did that. Um, to get back into a, a few of the other things that stood out to me about Schmitz moving forward, I would say those are the positives I brought up. And you know, that IQ is going to help, I think, down the line, if not right away. The negatives I would say on tape for me was something I always consider when they drafted him. As as those who listen to the podcast knew, I was never even considering John Michael Schmitz with the first round pick. I think that would have been a horrible reach. In the second round, I was more fine with it. And I think it was an okay, it was a good pick considering where the Giants are at and how much they needed someone like him. But one thing that concerned me and why I never even considered using a first round pick on a player like John Michael Smith was 
I worried about how he would be at the point of attack against NFL level players on the interior versus Wisconsin, not Wisconsin versus Big Ten level players on the interior. I knew there was a big jump off the Badgers. Can you? No, I knew there was a big jump coming there, Nick. And I felt like at the point of attack, he was not dominant in his first season. I felt like there were some concerning moments at the point of attack. I don't think there were too many moments I saw of him operating duo or something with one of the two Giants guards and really blowing guys off the ball. I don't necessarily, even though he has that wrestling background, which I think it helps him. I don't think he's necessarily a dominating big body on the mid and that's okay. Like he may not have to be, but it's something I consider. And I'm, it's something that I'm concerned about a little. The other two concerns for me moving forward are kind of unrelated to his tape. And the one would be his age and his development. I know he did well against big 10 guys. Um, He did not have a good rookie season though. Overall. I mean, this was, he was at best an average center at the NFL level. It was a rookie season, but he was at best just by the numbers and by the tape. He was at best an average center. To me, if you're going 55 overall, I want you to be at at minimum and above average center, and I'd like you to be a top 10 center. And I wonder if the power, I wonder if the development, given his advanced age, is something I should just bank on versus other players. I still think it is. So I think any player adjusting to the NFL gets a boost as they have more time, Nick. So I still have a lot of hope for him, and I don't think he's like aged out of any possible way of doing this. But I do always wonder about older prospects. The second one would be, and, and if you have something on that, answer that first, and we'll get into the second one. I would say yes. Average, but with flashes of brilliance. And I know he doesn't, according to Pro Football Focus, have the best grades, right, Dan? Like, I, I can see that. And you can also see that substantiated through the tape. But yeah. think about, like, the 17-yard rush against the Green Bay Packers, where he chips, I think it was a two-eye shade, chips him, seals him, allows the guard to swivel his hips around to create the hole. And then he just climbed right up to, to I think it was Devondre Campbell, and just, or it might have been the other one, but regardless and just eliminated him from the play like he has those types of plays True. outside zone is not something the giants ran a ton they're not an outside zone base team they still ran it there were plays and this isn't a, really a surprise there were plays where the giants were running outside zone and he was able to reach the three tech like the guard gave the three tech a chip to the play side and then john michael schmitz had the foot speed had the balance had the understanding of how to take the angle and the strength to get his hips around that three tech and create a seal so Saquon Barkley has a more advantageous route towards the play side. So little plays like that, those are flashes of brilliance. We just need it to be more consistent. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. 
instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. Oh, my friends, you know what time it is. You're hungry, you're starving, and you desperately need pizza. You should get the best pizza on the market. And that is, of course, Little Caesars. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. Order online during the Pizza Pizza pregame all day on NFL game days and even on Pro Bowl Sunday and get ready for some football fun and cheesy delicious pizza. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Yeah, Nick, and we even saw that exact same thing on a play against the Patriots in that game as well. So that is more, I think that can be viewed as, as more of a positive if you look at it in that light. And those movement skills are are something that, in my mind, the Giants go back to the tape this offseason when they're planning out their whole season and their offense. And they say, look at what he can do and what he can, and, and those movement skills that are rare, let's utilize that. Let's call more plays that get him in a position where he can make, you know, give us an advantage. So I still have very high hopes for him. I just wanted to bring that, that point of attack stuff up. I also want to say my only other concern long term and this is not a concern again these are just minor concerns would be how much of the pick was Bobby jo- getting Bobby Johnson his guy because Bobby mm. Johnson's no longer here and Bobby Johnson spoke glowing with him he met with him twice this was his dude and a lot of what I heard about what they liked about him was all cerebral stuff up top and that's great and you want that but you also need to have the physical stuff as well and I still again have very high hopes for John Michael Smith if I was going to say right now Nick you have to pick one player on this out of this class who's going to be on this roster the longest. I might even give him a nod over a player like Banks, which is crazy to say just because of the position that he plays. Um, and 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 I think there's going to, you know, we could be looking at year two after this when we grade our rookies, and he may have the highest grade. I don't think I'd be surprised at all after next year if he has a higher grade than Banks or Hyatt or any of the other players the Giants drafted. So I still have a good long-term outlook. But unfortunately, you know, I'll give the grade now. It's going to be a C minus for me based on just his rookie season. It, it wasn't it wasn't great on tape, and that's okay because again, some of the qualifications are true, and there were still moments and flashes of of things that we like. So that's where I'm at there. And I think that's fair. Moving on to Jalen Hyatt, round three, pick number seventy one. I gave Jalen Hyatt a C plus, and I think Jalen Hyatt might be one of the more difficult players to evaluate because the offense was an absolute 
abject disaster this season. The offensive line, the pressure, Daniel Jones, all of it, it all just did not work out. So how can this rookie who is was in an unconventional Josh Heupel offense at Tennessee, how can he thrive in that environment? Hyatt caught 23 of 40 targets for 373 scoreless yards on 557 offensive snaps. 109 of those yards were against New England in week 12. He had a, what, 57.5% catch rate. He had four drops. I would say it seemed like he had more drops, if I'm going to be honest with you, but PFF had him with four drops, and he had an average of 16.2 yards per catch. Look, those aren't the best stats. I think you can look at Jalen Hyatt and, and recognize the situation was what it was, and you can extrapolate what he's going to do in the future for this team now that he has developed a little bit. We did see some route-running mistakes down the stretch of the season. We saw mm -hmm. Brian Dable. I can't remember the exact game. Brian Dable tear into Jalen Hyatt because the way he ran the route was 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 off. And I think it just was on a third down. It was a big, big play situation. I don't remember exactly which game it was in again, but I look at him. I see the explosiveness. I see the ability to take the top off of defenses. I know he can make tough contested catches. I saw it throughout his college career. Okay. I saw, we always bring up that one play against Missouri, which was amazing tracking. We saw it a little bit this season. He just had some concentration drops. I don't think it was the best rookie season. I remained very high on Jalen Hyatt, but I came away with a C plus because of the entire situation was rough and he wasn't nearly maximized, but we still saw huge game changing plays that possibly led to two of the giants wins right. in Arizona and then new England. Yeah, exactly. Washington, maybe great... too. Washington, maybe too, honestly, but those, those shots that Tyrod took in him against Washington, probably not winning that game without that. So I actually have a, this is the one we're probably furthest apart on Nick, as far as grade goes, I have a B plus grade on Jalen Hyatt. I understand the limitations, the, the negatives I'll get to first, because I obviously have a very high grade on him. And if anyone wants to check it out, I did a thread last week on Jalen Hyatt on Twitter, where I broke down like 15 to 20 plays on tape from Hyatt this year that got me excited about him. And I'll talk about some of the traits I talked about there, but to start with the negatives, even though you should always start with the positives, I'll start with the negatives real quick. The negatives for me were, were mostly as you, as you broke down, but also, so I would add to that, I didn't see a big expansion of his route tree that I was hoping to maybe see at the NFL level, given he gets a new system, he gets new coaching, but that's okay for a rookie, in my opinion. There's a lot of rookie receivers who don't even get any, you know, if you look around the NFL, it's very rare to see wide receiver production as a, uh, you know, as a rookie and let, you know, Chase will do it. Some of the best players ever will have massive production, but it's not that common. Um, more negative, or let's just say there, the route tree and some of the, the things you broke down would be my negatives. The thing, the negative I don't give a crap about, Nick, that I hear a lot is, how good could he be if he didn't score a touchdown in a season? What the hell? Did, how stupid do you have to be to think that a team that had 15 passing touchdowns in 2022, a breakout year for their pass game, is going to have a lot of passing touchdowns for this guy to even get? Like how much of this is Hyatt and how much is dysfunctionality in the passing game? Okay. That's the real thing you should ask yourself when you folk over focus on his receiving touchdowns as a rookie. No one caught receiving who caught touchdowns on this team. <laughs> we didn't throw touchdowns. We didn't really throw that many touchdowns at all. The giants, they had some yards at the end of the season when Tyrod was playing, but they didn't have many passing yards or many passing touchdowns this entire season. So why am I going to care if this guy has zero touchdowns when again, they didn't have that many to begin with. So I don't care about that one. I hate that one. Nick, it bothers me, as you could obviously tell from my little rant there. Now, the things I liked about Jalen Hyatt's season were his seamless, seamless, seamless speed that he has and acceleration and things that I loved about what I saw from his tape and I put it on Twitter was his ability to just sink his hips 
on those vertical routes and then explode back out. There were so many times the Patriots game that he sold against that D back. And that's a tough coverage to beat. If you watch that play again, it's on my Twitter from last week. But if you watch that play again, the coverage the Patriots used, that was a tough coverage to beat. There were others that he beat that were easier to beat. The post against Arizona was obviously easier for him to win on that one. But there were some routes he won that were not easy. And they were won because of his ability to sink his hips on those double moves and those vertical moves and create seamless separation because he doesn't lose acceleration coming in and out of those breaks while other DBs do as they make their decision to kind of, you know, take a step toward the sideline or wherever it may be to play the out route. So I love that, obviously, his vertical, Billy. I love this ball tracking on the vertical plane. We can start throwing some of these up if you want, Nick, if you if you can get some of these clips up. Because I think I have one, the Tyrod Taylor post uh, from week 17 or, or 18 that was called back by penalty. But it just, to me, that one shows his ability to track on the vertical plane. And you'll see this first one against Buffalo. We can throw that one up, too, if you want. Um, the first one against Buffalo also shows something that I wasn't necessarily sure we would get in year one. And that's that toughness at the catch point. He knows he's taking a massive hit here. This is a fourth and five. He has to make this player. The Giants have no chance to win this football game. And he takes this kit and he makes the catch and he holds on to the football. I thought he did a great job at the catch point. I thought he did a great job of high pointing the ball throughout his rookie season. And I thought he did a great job along the sideline with his spatial awareness and his understanding of where the sideline is going to be and concentration at the catch point, despite also having to concentrate on your footwork to drag your toes and keep it in bounds. He did that countless times. And here you're seeing the play against the Rams, which I thought was just great ball tracking on the vertical plane. That's another thing he does really well. He tracks the ball. We knew this was going to be the case. And I kind of compared it in a lot of ways to Deshaun Jackson, but I wasn't necessarily sure it was going to be the case at the NFL level. You never know. It's a projection, right? Nick, like you have to see it with your own eyes to believe it. So I thought those three things that I just broke down, toughness at the catch point, ability to high point, his spatial awareness along the sideline, ball tracking, and then his seamless ability to get in and out of his breaks and not lose a lot of acceleration and speed. Those were all like A to A pluses for me, honestly. I got to be honest. Like this one here is a great example. Look at how he tracks the ball in the air. It's not, in my opinion, the best ball here from DeVito. It's fine. It's a fine ball. It's not the best ball especially considering the pocket but he does a great job of kind of slowing down tracking he's always in control he understands where his feet need to be and then he drags those toes and does such a good job extending away from his frame all those things are up there for me the reason why my grade is not going to be an a an a minus or an a plus it's going to be a b plus here is because of the negatives that you brought up earlier, Nick, and the fact that he still doesn't run the full route tree as a rookie, and that's fine. I don't necessarily expect him to be an alpha wide receiver one. I guess that's where it comes down to for me, Nick. When you draft somebody in round three, what I want is somebody who can impact the football team every game, and I think his speed allows them to do that. Even if the ball doesn't come his way, if we get a quarterback who can use every inch of the field and actually start to generate a real passing game, just having him run those vertical routes is going to force so safeties to, to respect that. And it's going to open up so much more space in the middle of the field for a quarterback to get the football to other players. So even when he's not impacting the game by breaking off a 50 or 60 yarder, Nick, I think he'll be impacting every game just by being that guy. So to me, I'm on a good path with high. He's probably the, the rookie that, you know, I gave the B plus to banks. I'll give a B plus to, to Hyatt. But I think from a value standpoint, he's my favorite pick so far from this class. So a couple things. I love how you articulated yourself talking about some of the aspects of Jalen Hyatt's game that popped up on film, the tracking near the sidelines and things of that nature. One of the reasons why my grade is lower than yours. He was third of wide receivers who played at least 20% of their team's snaps in drop percentage. I think the only yeah. ones who got more passes than him from a percentile standpoint was Alan Lazard 
and Jamison Williams. And then yards per route run was was bad. It was sub one. Yes. Now, some of that has to do with quarterback, the offense, all of those things. This is a deep threat, and the offensive line was an issue for much of the season. They also had quarterbacks who weren't going to really throw it deep, and that quarterback was under duress a lot. All of those things right. are true, which aren't going to lead to positive stats for Jalen Hyatt. But I think he was like bottom 12 in the NFL of, of wide receivers who who um, played at least 20% of their teams. yards per route run. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. rough. It was sub one. I, I have pushback on that. I understand. I have a little bit of pushback on that because I just feel like the problem for me with that stat is if I look at the Raiders game, and I know you you agree with us because we've talked about this a lot off pie. We don't we don't want to bring it up too much on pie because it'll offend and hurt some people's feelings. But if you look at that Raiders game on tape, he should have had another 200 yards receiving at least if the quarterback was, was competent. I mean, not only the two passes that Jones missed, the deep ball that he overthrew, and then the other deep ball that he like hung up in the air and it landed out of bounds. But like there were also route combinations and and. and probably two or three plays. I'll go find him if anyone wants to see him where he just was open and the quarterback just Jones just didn't see it and didn't process it and went somewhere else with the ball. So like that to me was four. I think it was four total plays and that's 50 yards each. So like how much does that change the yards per route run on four routes? If the quarterback gets him the ball there and that wasn't the only time that happened, you know, we, we know that for sure um, based on the tape. So I, the yards per route run hurts me a little bit more. The drops is the one that I think is interesting, Nick, because I didn't really, break that down at all when I was breaking down my thoughts on, on Hyatt and maybe that should weigh factor, you know, factor in more in my grade. But I, I always tend to, you know, I have a problem with drops. Like I, <laughs> I, I have a problem. I don't think they're charted great. Personally, I think the charting of drops is a little bad. I think a lot of things that are considered drops are more on ball placement uh, or at least more, you know, 50, 50 on ball placement. And I know, I know we have, we have different opinions. Well, that. it's not even the difference of opinion. I would say there were, Coming to mind, there's one okay. play that really comes to mind. First off, this PFF says he only has four drops. I watched every one of these snaps this season. I think he had more than four drops or yeah. balls that he threw. There was one bad one. Caught, you could say there was one bad one that was behind him that was cal calculated as a drop where he spun like this and it hit him. Oh, in the that back. Cowboys like, that, game one from Jones. that was that wasn't that wasn't his fault, right? Like that's not, not something all. that I look at Jalen Hyatt and I. It's more of I think he had one uh, along the sidelines, Green Bay, along the sidelines against yeah. the Rams. He had the another, Washington one in the red zone that Taylor threw him. See, that, I didn't even like, yeah, I didn't even remember that one. So, so it's, it's that. And I don't think this is like a, a persistent problem with Jalen. I don't think, oh, wow. He has butterfingers. It's just right. because I'm evaluating it only from this past season. He didn't really have all the, that stats. His yards per route run wasn't all that great. He had a limited route tree where mostly all he did was run go routes, drag routes yep. and hitch routes. That's why I came away with that. Great. I remain very fair and very optimistic about Jalen Hyatt. I think Jalen Hyatt can be a very good football player. Now he came into the season thinking, oh yeah, I'm going for the offensive rookie of the year. The season blew up for the New York Giants. That was never a realistic goal. But this is somebody who has a thousand yard upside. I would even say his upside, if he gets to his ceiling, especially if he has a quarterback and an offensive line, he can be a 10 plus touchdown type of player. Yes. Like I think he has that within him, especially if he gets another complimentary piece of like the giants end up draft drafting Malik neighbors, or if the giants right. end up getting a Dunze or however you pronounce his name from Washington, you're talking about, you're talking about Jalen Hyatt possibly as the number three option. You align him as the number third. You still got to worry about Darius Slate and speed. You have Darren Waller. It can really open this offense up and it could really benefit Jalen Hyatt. So uh, that's a ceiling I'm discussing, but in terms of just his rookie season, C plus is what I had. That's fair. Okay, let's go to the next pick the Giants made after Jalen Hyatt, and it's all the way in round five, and it's Eric Gray, the running back out of Oklahoma. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on Eric Gray and Tennessee earlier in his career? What are your thoughts on Eric Gray? What's your grade and what's your thoughts on his rookie season? This one's tougher, obviously. This one's tougher because I think Eric Gray was put into a shitty position. I do. I think the Giants drafted him. They're like, we like him. We don't know what's going on with Saquon Barkley at this point. This is a tough runner. You know, he's he's very agile in a phone booth type of guy. Doesn't really have breakaway speed. All right, we're bringing back Saquon Barkley. So what are we going to do with you, Eric Gray? You're not going to really have a role on the offense, which he really didn't. What did he have? Like 17 carries on this season? They get yeah, 17 carries for 48 yards with one fumble, averaging 2.8 yards per carry and he caught six or seven passes for 22 yards it's 3.7 yards per catch he wasn't really afforded the opportunity to thrive on offense as a rookie behind Saquon Barkley you can completely understand why but the Giants were like okay well we have you we're not going to put you on the practice squad so return punts yeah you'll be our punt returner so yeah he did that in college <laughs> the last time he did that in college was in like 2021 he I think fielded two punts and he muffed them both it was like that bad you're putting him in a position that's unnatural for him and you're relying on him. And guess what? We found out very early that this is not Eric Gray's. These are not Eric Gray's traits that you want to rely on, right? That's just not who he is. So I ended up with a D plus, but I also don't think it's all on Eric Gray. I think it's more just the circumstance of having Saquon Barkley there, him not getting into a rhythm on offense, him not really being afforded an opportunity on offense, the injury that he dealt with mid season and him being forced into a special teams role, which is not his natural ability. I think that's all fair, and it's hard to have. A, and what was your final grade on him? It was a D plus. Okay, I think it's fair. I mean, I'll probably give it a D just because, like, it's a D just based on what we're grading our grading scale is, right, Nick? Like, we're grading it on what he did this season. That can't be more than a D. He didn't do great in the special teams role. That again, the context is needed. It wasn't fair, and he didn't do great from a production standpoint as a running back or a receiver, but. Both of those things, it's like, who did do well? Look at Saquon Barkley's average yards yeah. per carry. It was bad, dude. Saquon Barkley's success rate was even was not good either. His yards per contact, yards after contact per attempt, Barkley way down. His breakaway run percentage way down. Like, it just we didn't. I felt like honestly, dude, I was kind of disappointed in how big of a step back the Giants' run game took this year. Nick, we haven't discussed this a lot on the pod, but like I felt like we took a major step backwards from 2022 in the run game, and that was very disappointing. Now, part of that, I think, is the functionality of how bad we were at quarterback and O line for a lot of the year, and how little respect teams had for our passing game. But that's you know, Giants, not our. I keep saying that, but that's that's part of it. But still, production wise, it wasn't there for Eric Gray. I still like some of the moments I saw on tape. I still think he does a lot of the things well that the Giants can use in the future when they start to get better run game production overall and pass game production overall, specifically in the screen game. If they can start to finally get that going next year with a little bit more continuity in the O-line, maybe that will help or just a new O-line coach. Maybe they can finally get a screen game going. But I think in space, in a phone booth is still where he's going to be at his best with those quick jukes and that low yeah, center. Short area quickness. Yes. The short area quickness. And I thought he did a good job of kind of running behind his pads and getting that real low center gravity. I still think contact balance is another trait that he showed me a lot on his Oklahoma tape. And I'm excited to see it at the NFL level, but a lot of it is, you know, you can answer, you finish every sentence with, I'm excited to see it at the NFL level, or I still want to see it at the NFL level because we just didn't get a lot to see. So that, that I would give it a D and I think that's a fair grade from you.
a 12 yard rush that he had against the Philadelphia Eagles kind of showcased, Hey, maybe there's some upside here because right. he ran through like two arm tackles and then took on a linebacker and fell forward for an extra, like three yards, it's supposed to be a nine yard run, got 12 yards. Like those are the types of plays that I think Eric Gray can, can uh, have success with. But I also believe that he has the foot speed to, to make people miss in a fumble because we saw that all throughout Oklahoma or when he is in space, it's just, he doesn't, la he lacks that breakaway ability. And that's one issue. And you brought up one thing. You said the screen game. It was funny. I was watching football with my dad. It was a quick touchdown. It was just a quick screen. And it just quickly yeah, went for uh, a touchdown. Yeah. My dad like, looks at me. He's like, hey, Nick, like, why don't the Giants ever do that? And I'm like, yeah. dad, if you listen to the podcast, you would know Dan and I talk <laughs> about this incessantly. The Giants have not had a successful screen uh -huh. run in so long, other than maybe in garbage time on like a third and 22 right. where they picked up like 18 yards. Their, their screen game has been so abysmally bad. And one thing on Saquon Barkley, it does seem like he has lost a little bit. He averaged 3.9 yards per attempt. Last season, he averaged 4.6. He did, though, have 2.91 yards after contact per attempt whereas last year it was 2.75 so he was still getting some yards after contact just to but in his heyday in 2018 that was in the 3.6 range so yes. uh, let's yeah. look that up actually yeah it was, it was a 3.34 three, 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 dude he was such a stud three, four, yeah. <laughs> oh my god that's um, insane and that yeah, was on a bad line as well I know running he, only inside zone so he's really never know. had a good offensive line never had a good offensive line Ever. I don't, I don't remember when the Giants, the last time the Giants had a good offensive line. Like to me, it was 2008. Some people say 2013 was a good year for the O line. Um, I believe that's the year they tell me, but I, I didn't feel like it was that good. Oh, eight <laughs> was the last. Yeah. Oh, eight was the last year. And I don't remember because I don't remember. It definitely wasn't 11. It obviously wasn't that. 2015 and 2016 wasn't because of the line. It was because it was a good system to, to get immediate success, that McAdoo system right away, at least. It's a match. You know, you see it with McCarthy this year. It's a matchup based system, which, by the way, I think there could be some regression there for the Cowboys offense next year. I mean, like, they're just spamming slants all day and it's like three slants all day. It's going to work sometimes when you have CD Lamb, but like, there's going to be some kind of adjustment from DCs. We'll see what happens there. But we haven't podcasted since the Eagles and the Cowboys lost their playoff game. Yeah, the, How amazing was so that? Joyous. So joyous. Take a drink. Celebratory. It's sad game. that this is what we celebrate, but we have to be able to celebrate something, Nick. So it's yeah. not sad from that standpoint. There needs to be some joy. It can't just be all pain. So take your joy the way you could take your joy. And that was joyous for me. I love seeing the, key, the Cowboys get crushed. I love seeing the Eagles get crushed. Cowboys one was even more embarrassing to me because they were riding a high into the, into the postseason uh, versus the Eagles. who were just clearly collapsing. Um, you know, I even made the mistake of thinking the Eagles could turn it on for the playoffs. I took them minus, you know, getting two and a half against or minus two and a half against the Bucks, and it was a dead bet because I thought, you know, maybe they could turn. I thought the Bucks were terrible, but they, you know, the regular season they were, but they weren't in the postseason. So it's like, you know, you can never tell. But man, the Eagles were bad. That was that was pathetic, and they it was amazing. We, I mean, they lost to the Giants, and they were down twenty four nothing at half. We probably should have seen this coming, uh, at least I should have, but. Yeah, that was fun to watch. Um, let's move on to the next uh, rookie here and give out a different grade as well. And that'll be Trey Hawkins, their sixth round pick at 209 overall. Would you grade his rookie season? I graded him as a D plus and again, and I should have specified this. I was a little unclear. I think I was okay. or I was going under the impression of the expectations that were assigned to Trey Hawkins the third during training camp. We thought he could step in. We we're talking about moving our veteran starting outside cornerback who has only really been a starting outside cornerback. Yeah, he played a little slot at Tennessee. Adore Jackson inside just to get Trey Hawkins on the football field. And it was it was a failure. He he's a rookie developmental cornerback. That's who he is. So I gave him a D plus. Maybe I should have 
just considered more that he was a six round pick and he did get some playing time. And although it didn't work out, it still should be a little bit more than a D plus, but man, it like really didn't work out. Like he allowed an 80.8% catch rate, 330 yards, three touchdowns. He did have two passes defended. I think he showed a good physical nature against the run and he really punished receivers when they did catch the football. He also committed four penalties. I, I think the the dagger was put into Trey Hawkins, the third, when he was forced onto the football field against Miami and had to go up against freaking Tyreek Hill one on one. Yeah, that was that was a rough call by by <laughs> Wink Martindale. And it was unfortunate because I think a Dory Jackson was off the field because of like a, a an equipment malfunction with his helmet or something. It's just a really tough spot for him. I don't want to hold that against the kid. I can see why someone would say you're being a little bit hard on Trey Hawkins the third with this grade, but I, I I'm still going with the D plus. That's what I went with there. Nah, it's opposite for me. I, I'm I'm at D minus. I don't think I don't think you're being hard at all. I'm I'm even lower on what I saw as rookie season. To me, Trey Hawkins, when he got a chance to play man on the field, was simply not an NFL level caliber cornerback. And it's not a huge surprise to me because I personally don't believe highly in fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. I think if you can hit on one, it's almost miraculous. And if you look at the history of the NFL by the numbers, I'm right. So I don't know if we should be assigning and ascribing these, you know, high expectations based on, you know, the past. Now, training camp gets a lot of people excited, right? He had an amazing camp and he looked good. But in reality, training camp is not important and it's not real as, as uh, what's her name said, T Tiffany Gomez. I don't believe when you know that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. He's not real. But, you know, and I don't think he's done or anything. I just personally think it's going to be a long uphill battle for him to to even make the roster next season with a new defensive coordinator. I'm going to be honest and even say that, Nick. There were some moments in the run game, some, but there also were some bad moments in the run game, I thought, too, where he did a poor job in the run game from a processing standpoint and from a positioning standpoint. Now, he made some big hits after receivers caught the ball. That was also good. But if that's the positive, I'm finding good big hits after the catch was made. That's not great. And I felt like in man coverage, he just was not capable of playing at the NFL level based on what I saw on tape. And we'll see if that changes. Maybe he's his own guy with the new system or he can find something, you know, that works for him. But this is I'm not just going to be like, you know, pie in the sky. Always you got everybody knows that about me. I'm not the most pie in the sky person when it comes to this stuff. And I don't from what I saw, I don't really have much faith in him being a starting corner for the giants at any point in a, in, in a man system, maybe his own system. Um, I think that would suit him better somehow, but even that I, I don't have high expectations. And from what I saw on tape, that's what the grades based on. It's a D minus for me. There you go. Jordan Riley. Round there seven. we go. There's a positive Pick one. 43 <laughs> gave him a resounding B minus. I think Jordan Riley, look, he didn't play as much as, some fans wanted him to play after the Giants traded Leonard Williams. A lot of people were bitching and complaining about that. Yeah. And I understand it, but I trust Andre Patterson. If there's any coach on this staff, there's two that I really trust. It's Andre Patterson, defensive line coach, Henderson. and Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach, because they've been able to extract a lot of value out of the, yeah. the players that they get. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out too much for Trey Hawkins the third, but we've seen Jerome Henderson hit with a lot of other cornerbacks and safeties. In and it's hard to play corner in the NFL level. It's very this sixth round pick that's coming and be a starter. That was always that was always too much. Of course, of course. But Andre Patterson was able to mold this this mountain of a man who went to what four colleges, who bounced around and then wound up at Oregon after a little cup of coffee in North Carolina and Nebraska was at a community yeah. college. And we heard what Joe Shane said about him. Like, look, he's 
got pop. He's got pushback and he's got pop at the point of attack. That was some of the reasons why they selected him according to the the uh, the post draft press conference. And oh my god, did you see that? Look, there were times where he was not always in position, but when he went up against Jason Kelsey, the great Jason Kelsey, yeah. he popped them, man, and he moved them and he made some plays near the line of scrimmage that if Dexter Lawrence made it, I would put it up be like, yo, look at this. But it's Jordan Riley, it's 95 making that play. It wasn't always perfect. It wasn't. He offers very little as a pass rusher. But we go into next season, and if the Giants don't add to the defensive line room, which I think they should add, we can at least say the battle between DJ Davidson and Jordan Riley, those aren't two nobodies. Those are guys who should be on an NFL roster. I still hope they add a defensive lineman, but I, I think the Giants may have found at least somebody who's going to be on the roster throughout his entire rookie contract and contribute in the seventh round in Jordan Riley. And I think there's something to be said about that. There is a lot to be said about that, Nick. And I actually have B plus grade as well. Uh, you, you were on B plus, correct? B minus. B minus. Okay, sorry, I misheard that. I'm on B plus for Jordan Riley just because I felt like the moments I saw on tape, I, look, I never had massive expectations for him as a pass rusher, but I even thought he flashed a little bit there. But his ability to just have pop on contact at what was really, for me, impressive considering First year player, rookie, seventh round draft pick against NFL offensive linemen, some of who have been playing for years and some of the better players. You mentioned the Kelsey rep. I mean, there were some really good reps from him, even some penetration reps that I thought were like, wow, I did not expect this at all out of Riley, despite, you know, the hype from camp or anything like that. And I think the thing with Riley that gets me excited is he was a traits based pick. You heard it from uh, Joe Shane and you've heard it since from Brandon Brown and people within the Giants organization. They're like, it was even an admission at one point, Nick, where they're like, yeah, the tape wasn't that good. And they're like, we don't need we we're not going on the tape we're going on the traits and how it fits us and that pop on contact and those long arms and that ability to you know get his hands up quick and in in right in right in there for an interior alignment it worked and we saw some really good flashes i felt like for a seventh round pick so this was one i'm very excited about i gave him a b plus and i think he's going to be part of that rotation next year and for all the people who are like i want to see more of him i want to see more of him after learning with traits I'm sorry, Leonard Williams. I think you're going to get that next year. I think that's what you're going to get next year. And so I'm, I'm excited about his future. And I, I think just based on what I saw, limited opportunities, uh, I'll give it a B plus. Yeah, I love that. I really do. I, I think Jordan Riley is going to be behind Nacho. He's going to be behind uh, Dexter Lawrence. And he could be that third guy. If, it depends on what the, this defense runs. If this defense runs an odd spacing, odd type of front, where you're going to have three True. big defense linemen, who's going to start? Is it going to be DJ Davidson? Is it going to be Jordan Riley? I bet you we're going to be talking about that a lot on this yes. podcast because that's an interesting little footnote. And I'm excited for both of those guys. And I think they do offer different things, even though they're similar in build. Completely agree. We're going to go N.A. for Javarius Owens because he only played 37 special team snaps. Um, that's not something we're going to grade on. But let's do one bonus one, Nick, because obviously this person made an impact as a rookie for the Giants, though he wasn't drafted. And that's UDFA quarterback Tommy DeVito. So I'll let you start with this one with a grade and your breakdown. So I should have gave him an A plus because he is a yeah. UDFA quarterback and you never right. see those guys come in and win football games. I ended right. up giving him a B because it was kind of a huge <laughs> fall from grace. We saw the Giants seemed eager to replace him at halftime against Philadelphia defense that was significantly struggling against every other quarterback. Once sure. Tyrod Taylor came in, you saw the offense be unlocked to something different, something that we hadn't seen the entire season with Tommy DeVito. I think Tommy DeVito was exceptional. That's why I probably should have gave him an A. I did not. I probably should redo that, right? Like he was exceptional for a UDFA. He was making throws that we did not see Daniel Jones make specifically from the pocket outside the numbers and that unlocked sale concept that unlocked three level reads outside the numbers that unlocked 
cover two beaters with the honey hole shots that unlocked number two flag routes and corner routes. And we sure. saw him do that to Daniel Bellinger. We saw him do that to, with a lot of the wide receivers as well. And we saw him develop a rapport and the Giants went on a three game winning streak with him. So I probably should have gave him an A. The fall from grace kind of forced me more towards a B. But when the hell do you ever see a UDFA quarterback step in and win games? And now I look at it and it's much to our chagrin because if that never happened and the Giants just sucked, Giants would be picking a lot higher right now. You're not, I'm surprised you even said that on air, Nick. I don't think you're allowed to say that with some fans, but some fans just can't understand that when, when you say something like that, Nick, it doesn't mean that you're saying they should have lost and they should have tried to tank. You're looking at the results. You're not saying that the process should have changed. Obviously, the players have to play to win. Obviously, you can be fine rooting for the wins, but you can also look at it after the fact and be like, the Giants will be in a better position with the first or second pick. And to me, it's fucking it's goddamn obvious that that's the oh. case. So it's just like, it, this is the part that bothers me the most, Nick. Like, yeah. people can't separate those two things. We're not saying they should have tried to lose or that you should try to lose. We're just saying that if they had lost those games, the franchise would probably be in a better position now. And it's not probably, it's definitely. But anyway, back to the point, Tommy DeVito and his grade for me, I'm going to give him a B plus. Uh, you broke it down well. The main thing that I liked about DeVito was that at the time of him coming in, because we hadn't really seen that much Tyrod Taylor at that point, he unlocked an area of the field in the passing game that we hadn't seen used at all for like two or for five straight seasons, essentially. And it's outside the numbers throws. Daniel Jones threw a lot over the middle. Um, or just, you know, the backside drag or, you know, if he's running curl flats, he'd throw a curl or a flat or slants flat. Joan would throw a slant and he did a lot of RPO Jones. It would just be, you know, the, the get in the mesh point and then just throw that quick hitting slant. But outside the numbers, seven to seven yards plus or eight yards plus, it's not an area of the field Jones used for the most part. Maybe with Shermer, he did use it a little bit with those half field high low reads. But for the last four years, we didn't really see much of it, including 2022. And DeVito started to do it a little bit. It was few and far in between, I would say. It wasn't like every play or every series, but there were some moments there for sure. I think the reason I'd probably drop it down to B plus would be the processing wasn't really all there for him. I felt like he took a lot of sacks that were on him versus the offensive line. Um, you know, that's another highly debated topic that I cannot wait to ask Justin Pugh about, by the way, I cannot wait to ask him about what percentage of sacks are on the court should go to the quarterback in the offensive line. So they can't wait to wake people up to this idea. Some people think it's a hundred percent on the O line. They're like, the Giants gave up 83 shocks this year. It's insane. How bad the line is like, well, I don't know. Did you watch the tape? It seemed like some of those were processing sacks by the quarterback. And DeVito was definitely, I thought Nick, the highest percentage of those sacks that were more on the quarterback. Than, yeah. Than worse than Jones by far. Worse DeVito, than Jones by far. Yeah, worse by than far. And that's a UDFA. It's to be exactly. expected, right? Like he didn't even have the off season to work with the Giants first team offense. He didn't have training camp to get reps in. He's just thrown in the middle of the season. You don't have a lot of reps. You don't have timing. Um, so I think processing was an issue for DeVito. I still, as I said in the first game, question his arm talent personally. I think he can make some interesting throws like the touchdown he had in the Green Bay game, Nick, where he's rolling to his right and he rips that ball um, to Hodgins right by the, the back pylon and the sideline. When he's doing those like Mahomes type three fourths throws, those baseball throws, I think he actually shows good arm talent, Nick. It's the over the top throws in like the 40 plus range where I feel like defenses would just be able to scheme against that with eight games of tape and you'd be in a tough position as a franchise because with Jones, with Daniel Jones, it's I think he has the arm talent to make those throws. I think he's just a process it fast. With DeVito, I question his deep arm talent. I'm just going to be honest. That's my personal take on it. You can disagree with it. That's fine. Not, not you, Nick. Anyone can disagree with it. That's fine. So I felt like he limited them in some regard there. So B plus, I think is fair, but you know, 
more, more, they got more out of him than they could have ever expected. You know, he won three games as a UDFA and made some big throws outside the numbers and engaged the, an area of the Giants pass game outside the numbers that just simply wasn't utilized for years before that point. Some of his throws against Washington and New England were pretty exceptional. Phenomenal. The third down, yeah. that long third down throw, that was fire. Yeah, some of the ones to Slayton and some of the ones to to Jalen Hyatt up the sidelines. Like that's stuff that I wanted to see from Daniel Jones. Right. right. Like I wanted to see Daniel Jones make Cover those two shot to Hyatt against the Patriots that we've never seen from Jones somehow. Yeah, like those are the types of plays where I'm like, damn it, like I probably should have gave him an A. This is a UDFA. What was the expectation for if you told us in preseason, Dan, Tommy DeVito is going to be your starting quarterback <laughs> and you're going to win three games with Tommy. We're going to be like, how good are the New York Giants? That offensive They're line right. was really go Bobby Johnson, <laughs> coach of the year. No, True. of course not. That's not what happened but he was still able to do it and i would say yes True. the opponents had something to do with that washington sucks new england sucks so but i don't want to take anything away from the kid and what he accomplished yeah i think that was a good breakdown by you all right those are our grades for the giants rookie class hope you enjoyed this show keep it locked and loaded as i mentioned we're going to have a breakdown of the five biggest questions facing the giants this offseason a five-part series we're going to do we're also going to have an interview hopefully with justin Pugh coming up and more content on the way so keep it locked and loaded I haven't asked this in a while, but please make sure if you're watching this video, you hit like and you subscribe to all of the content. Please make sure if you're down, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, you download the content. We need that. So just please do it for us. Other than that, we won't ask you for much ever, really. So have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.